Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabragal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders, both past and present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experience in the creative industry. I'm Wendy. I'm Tracy. We, we saved, saved you a seat. seat. Come, Come join us. us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Try something different, you know. <laughs> it is a very bright, sunny day today. It is is it winter yet? I don't even know. Yes, it is winter. It is winter. So surprisingly, we have a 21 degree day. Mm-hmm. Sunny, beautiful day. It's so, gonna be it's gonna be cold again next week though. Yeah. But today the vibes are immaculate. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today we're gonna be talking about money. Everyone's favorite topic. We're gonna be talking about the importance of money in the Asian Australian context, how money has impacted our lives growing up and what it means for us, and our current financial situation as second gen immigrants. Why'd you laugh? So I laughed because <laughs> I was like, are we gonna give them our dollar value? <laughs> What are we worth? What are we no. worth? Zero. Um, before we get into the detail, I'm curious to know, Tracy, what are your thoughts on like money overall before we, I guess, deep dive? Yeah. Um, I think for me, money has been a constant in my life. Growing up with migrant parents, I think money has always been a big topic of discussion since like I remember. Mm-hmm. It's not always been a positive thing actually most of the time it's been a negative thing I think money has always been the root of our family problems and arguments so I think growing up I've always had this kind of tension with money in terms of I feel like I don't have enough of it I feel like I really want financial freedom but now growing up I think I have a better relationship with money so I think it's an up and down journey that I've had with money what about Mm, you yeah I think very similar in a lot of senses I think I've seen it you know bring a lot of stress and anxiety to families, not just my own, but like other people that I know. And so in seeing that, I feel like it's not always had a positive connotation whenever I think about it. And so it's kind of led me to shy away from it here and there, but, you know, in getting my own place and kind of growing up and also with like your career, you need to care about it a lot more. But I think my, uh, what what would you call it? Like my mantra around Mm -hmm. money would be, to live comfortably but not be too, like, frugal yeah. with things but also be, like, responsible in the decisions that I make. Yeah, I think yeah. money in Asian culture is, like, a sensitive topic almost. Like an un- it can be an uncomfortable topic. I feel like it's not really something people talk about in public, whereas maybe in Western cultures it's very – people are very open about talking about money. Mm. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about why it is so important in the Asian-Australian context – And I think when people think about Asians, they think that, like, we're really frugal. So I want to kind of uncover why that is. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. So um, thinking about money, it's not just, like, a tool of exchange, but I think for my parents anyway, it's, like, the result of hard work and a guarantee for a more successful and sustainable future. So I think for a lot of families, it's all about, like, hustling for net financial freedom. Mm. but with that said I also feel like what marks financial freedom you know it feels like it's an endless goal to have and you can keep like you just get more and more hungry for it but in addition to that I feel like savings or having disposable income is like making sure that there's always a plan b especially if like things go wrong 
or, you know, in the face of adversity and uncertainty, having money almost makes it feel like it's okay. Yeah. So I think for our parents specifically, being able to like move to Australia, it almost started with money. So if you come from a family that was really well off, there was more of a chance that you would be able to migrate to another country, right? And that was the situation for Vietnam from my understanding anyway. And I feel like in Vietnam currently, because my mom's family is still there, like money is still such a big topic. Yes. And you always see families in in and around Cabramatta anyway, always sending money back to their families, right? And it's just a constant topic and it stresses me out when I hear my mom talk about it. But, like, that's their reality. Whereas I think when our parents came to Australia, they had to start from nothing, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you don't have a lot of money, then every dollar actually matters and it counts, which is why potentially why there's so much stress around it as well. Like, every time you spend money, you're like, oh, this could have gone here or this could have gone there. You know, it's money that you can actually see going in and out of your bank Mm. if you don't have a lot of it as well. Yeah. And I feel like our parents work so hard like day to day just to save up every dollar because Mm -hmm. they for me anyway they want to kind of build a future for you so that you can be comfortable and also they'll have that income to help you celebrate like the bigger milestones so I know that in families um, Asian families anyway if like a child is getting married a parent would kind of pay for a part of the wedding or that if a a child is also buying a place they would buy like an appliance or or like give something that's quite grand and it's kind of like moments like that where I think that's what like our parents are saving towards at this age anyway but also like when we were growing up you know us going to tutoring and all that kind of stuff it's like investing in your child's future yeah I feel like it's they're proud not because they have a lot of money, but it's what the money can let them do. Mm, yeah. And also how long, how far they can stretch that money, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. People say Asian are, Asians are cheap, Asians are frugal, but it's almost like we take pride in being able to like stretch a dollar really far. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, when I was like kind of doing more research around this, it was like obviously a lot of information around like Asian American families, mm-hmm. but I, I think a lot of it translates to yeah. Australia as well. And um, in one of the articles that I read, they framed it as like frugality as a way of life for maximum fulfillment. Mm. So it's like you're being frugal now, but then it maximizes like the amount of opportunities you can have. But also like if you think about how we go about being frugal, things like uh, haggling at the market (laughs) Um, or like shopping around for the cheapest price, like my, my parents still do that. And like you never take like the first option. Yeah. It's like face value. Also, when you buy stuff and you have to check like everything to make sure there's no like flaws or errors in it, just to make sure that you're getting your money's worth as well. Yeah. And also like buying in bulk. Mm, Yeah. Tissue paper. (laughs) Toilet paper. Like I still don't get that to this day. Well, my mom has a thing where anytime she sees something on sale, like like half price in Woolworths, she'll like... Like, oh, stock up, stock up. And then yeah. even though, even if we don't need that item, yeah. because it's such a discounted item, she's like, oh, we've got to get it. Mm. But in my head, I'm like, you're spending more money unnecessarily. But in her head, it's like, it's a big saving that she's making. <laughs> yeah. My mom does the same with um, uh, washing powder Ooh, yeah. for clothes. Yeah. And I'm just like, this sale, like from our knowledge of working at it Woolworths. Will go, it will come again. It will come in two around. weeks. Yeah, yeah. In two weeks, the sale will be back. <laughs> yeah. So 
it's just so weird that um you have this mentality and I almost feel like I have this mentality now like when I see stuff on sale I'm like oh my god I should buy it yeah. <laughs> so I'm so much more like my mom that I realized and also now with online shopping it's like going out and getting the coupon codes and like signing up for like those subscriber yeah. discounts and things as well yeah. yeah but growing up when I whenever I bought stuff um it was like whenever I wanted to show my mom what I bought she wouldn't even ask me like or compliment what I bought she would just be like oh how much was it? Yeah. <laughs> and I would never tell her the, the actual yeah. price. I would kind of take off like 20 bucks from it or 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like, I just didn't want her to worry or think that I was spending money on unnecessary stuff. Also didn't really want to cop a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably knew that I was probably buying something that I shouldn't be buying, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like always, how much was it? Yeah. It's always yeah. a question. Okay. Let's talk about how I feel like in Asian cultures, money equals success if that makes sense i think growing up i've always been that's kind of the value it's always like if you're successful it means you have money and you can buy a house and settle down Mm, i think that you know even i think that even applies to like non-asian families maybe like the australian dream of owning property in a house but i think growing up i always how how do i say like i always measured my success in a career by how much money i made Mm, yes 100 percent agree with that because it's Actually, the first question that my parents asked me when I told them I've moved to, moved to a different job or, you know, I found a new opportunity, they're always like, oh, so how much is your new salary now? Yeah. And they don't ask anything else. Like, no. they don't ask, like, oh, how's, like, the working culture? Because I feel like they don't really care. They don't like, care because for them, money is the most important thing. They're like, yeah. why would you work for fun? Yeah, You're exactly, working right? for money yeah. to support yourself. And I even get, like, when I, I've moved jobs so many different times, but – Every time, like, it's not just my parents, but, like, my extended family, the first question is always, like, oh, did you get more money? Did you mm. get more money? Are they paying you more now? But for me, that's not – at the moment, that's not the problem. Like, for me, it's, like, whether I'm enjoying it and I'm getting stuff out of it that's not money. Only. Yeah. Like, even if it's just a small bump, I'm okay with that because I'm getting other value out of it. But they don't really see that. Mm. Yeah. I also think that perhaps um, when we have a family, our mindset might change. Like we'll, we may have a greater focus on money and we'll probably at that point understand why they ask those types of questions. Yeah. But again, I think it's because like they don't want us to end up working so hard for something that's not worth it and then building like a future that's not really going anywhere. Yeah. And so I feel like money is one of the greater indications of whether you're in a good place or not. Yeah. 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 I mean, especially for them since they've worked so hard just to make that money. Mm, yeah. Yeah. On top of that, I think also um, around the housing conversation, mm. I don't know about you, but when I'm at work and I'm like talking to a lot of workmates, a lot of them have moved out. Yep. But I think they kind of know that um, for Asian families, like we stay at home to save on rent so that we can buy a property in the future, like sooner. Yeah. I think like it doesn't even make sense to me even, why would you go out and pay rent when you can stay at home, save the money and then buy a house? And I think that's just like a mentality that my parents have instilled in me. They're like, why waste your money yeah. when you have a home here Yeah, moving out? Yeah. But I think uh, a lot of my friends have moved out like mainly because they just want their own space mm-hmm. and kind of the like mental clarity of being able to like, you know, do whatever you want without having to tell your parents where you are and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I think... I understand that a lot more now because, you know, going on exchange and living away from home for a year and the freedoms that we had and then coming back and living at home again, 
I think if you have never lived out of home, you don't know what that freedom feels like. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are willing to make that like financial sacrifice, even though they know that it might put set them back yes. a little bit. Yeah. I think it's just something that's not embedded in our culture potentially. Like it's just not something we're familiar with as well. But yeah, I can understand that. Mm. Um, should we talk about kind of what the traditions and rituals are around money in Asian culture? I think money, we kind of kind of touched on it, but money in Asian culture is really a symbol of like respect, gratitude, and kindness. I think I'm very used to my parents or my aunties and uncles kind of like flexing in terms of like paying the bill at family dinners <laughs> yeah. or like even the other day I went to dinner and we saw like my dad's friend or something at the same restaurant mm. and he immediately went over and was like I'll cover your bill oh my gosh you know like, <laughs> and we're like what but for them it's just like how you be polite or how you show respect to mm. your family to your friends like by paying for them and covering their bill yeah restaurants. it's not a, even about the monetary value like the um numerical value yeah. of it anymore it's more so about communicating that like you respect them or yeah. you acknowledge that you know they're people that you want to spend money on and be kind to yes yeah and it also i think demonstrates like uh the relationship that you have with that person whereas i think in our generation pain when someone pays for my meal, I feel so, so bad. Yeah. yeah, so guilty. I'm like, no, give me your bank details. Yeah. I need to transfer you. Or like, I'll pay for the next yeah, one. Yeah, or we split the bill equally or whatever it yeah, is. But yeah, but it actually lingers in my conscious. Like, oh my God, they, they bought drinks for but me. But also for, for, them. for me, when I think that, I, I feel like maybe it's related because I hate the idea of being in debt. Yes, 100%. And maybe that's also something that came whilst growing up because I'm – Growing up, I am. I've had incidents where, like, I feel like our family has been in debt. So I hate those type of situations. Mm. So growing up now, I feel like I never want to feel like I owe someone anything. Yes, like, it's 100%. about financial freedom. Like yeah. I want to be able to pay for myself and not feel that I'm in debt. Yeah, yeah. It's like an accomplishment, right? Yeah. And it's like I think it goes to the con- goes to the conversation around credit cards as well. Like mm. I don't know about you, but I think growing up, my parents were always like, "Don't get a credit card." Like. Or like we see it in movies, you yeah. know, like having a credit card is actually a bad thing because you're going to be in debt. Yeah. And I feel like I don't want that like in my subconscious either. No. But to be honest, having a credit card is actually not that bad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I guess it's like because our parents probably never had credit cards because they probably couldn't afford it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, or like deal, dealt with everything in cash, right? Ex- exactly. Yeah. And the idea of debt is just so scary. I think a hundred percent because I know like debt can be a cause of so many family issues and can really be the the thing that tears a family apart. So I think having the idea of debt is just really scary. Like yeah, yeah. But the only debt we like are happy to have is like a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's such a it's strange, super strange in that sense. Um, but I think also money plays a part in like Lunar New Year as well, mm. when we think about like the red pockets we re- receive. And what this really means is like showing generosity from like one family to another. But it's also about wishing each other good luck, good health and prosperity, which is really important during that time, right? But for those who don't know, like when you give red pockets, like the mu- the amount that you give is really dependent on how close you yeah. are with the family. Or- it's also got to be an even amount, right? Yeah, you, I think you so. You can't give someone like twenty five dollars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can't give you can't give two notes. It yeah. has to be like one note. Yeah, but it's very symbolic. I think money is very very symbolic in our Chinese culture. Like even if it's even if it's ten dollars in a red pocket, 
that carries a lot of weight because it's like this person is giving you luck. Yeah. 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 So it's not about the money. No. Yeah. And also you should never open it in front of the person that oh, gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, that's really bad. Like, that's like <laughs> either disrespectful, but also would bring bad luck, I think. Yeah. Have your parents ever given you a gift that's not money? I mean, for things that I've asked for, maybe oh, okay. like yeah. a set of texts when I was younger, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or like a coloring buying book. You something. Yeah, yeah, but not for birthdays. Like we don't do birthdays, we don't do yeah. Christmas. Um, and even for birthdays, it's more so the gesture of like cooking us a meal, mm, like a really big meal, yeah. like maybe like lobster or crab. Yeah, and buying you a cake. Yeah, I think that's the gift of love. Yeah, yeah. I agree because I feel like they maybe feel like spending money on items is a waste of money as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You'd rather invest in like um, experiences. So not experiences, sorry, education. Yeah, education yeah. or like a house. <laughs> Anything that indicates yeah. investing in your future, yes. they're like all for it. But I think it's like if you're just buying a toy or something, a toy, clothes, things that are deemed useless yeah. or even spending money on extracurricular yeah. activities that is not education related. So sport was never a thing. I asked for art classes. That was never a thing. Mm. I did guitar lessons in high school as well. And I paid for that myself. Yes. But I told my parents, I was like, I'm doing guitar lessons and I'm paying for it myself. And it was such a, like, I was just trying to flex them that, like, I can do things yeah. for myself, you know, with my hard-earned money. But I knew if I ever asked for that from them, they would never give me yeah. money. Well, on that topic, like, how has your relationship with money changed since like growing up, like how did money show up in your lives as you grew up or your life as you grew up? Mm, I think very similar to you where it's been a constant topic in the household and my parents put a lot of emphasis on it because they work so hard for it. Yeah. And I think having four kids is really hard. Like kids mm-hmm. are expensive, you know, and for context, like the age gap between my sisters and I, like the first three anyway, are quite close. So you could imagine trying to put your kids through school, having to pay for excursions, having to pay for camp or like tutoring. That's a lot of money. And I feel like that put a lot of stress on my parents. But as a kid, you don't know. Yeah. You take it for granted. Even in hindsight, I'm like, how did they even afford all that? Yeah. Whilst working part-time jobs, cash in hand, you know? I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. But like they're so – that's what makes them so smart about money because they had to hustle so hard yeah. to kind of like – scrape the bottom of the barrel to get every mm-hmm. cent, you know? And like, you know, we had our fair troubles around finance and, you know, earning enough. But I think as I've gotten older and started to work at a really young age and kind of be able to self-sustain, that has led me to have a healthier relationship yeah. with money. Whereas like growing up, it was kind of like something I couldn't have control over. Yeah. But I saw that it was creating problems. Oh, that's a good one. Not having control over money. I think that's very relatable. I think growing up for me, I've always had money anxiety. Like anytime I think of money, like my heart races. Oh my God. Me too. Yeah. I'm like, let's not talk about it. No, I hate it. Yeah. It's like, don't talk about it out of money. What? <laughs> it's like, I'll never be able to afford anything. Like I'm yeah. so poor. Like I think I always had a mentality that I would never have enough money. And I think that's probably drilled in me just growing up, like for the family being in debt, having issues around money. I just grew up knowing I'm never going to be rich in my life. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to afford a house. And I used yeah. to be, I used to catch myself speaking to friends and they'll say things like, oh, I'm saving up for a car or I'm saving up for money. And instantly I get anxious. I'm just like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. Really? Wow. Like, yeah. So it's been a really long journey for me to get to this place now where I feel actually 
I have money. I can, I am like financially independent. And you realize that it's more so the mentality type of thing. Mm. I think having that poor mentality helps nobody. Yeah. Like saying, I'll never afford that. Like you've got to catch yourself when you say those things because what you say, it's kind of like manifestation, right? Yeah. It's like what you say, <laughs> you're putting it out there in the world. Yeah. And you're going around with a mentality that you're lacking. Mm. So now I try to actually, I never, I really try to avoid saying things like, I can't afford that or I'm poor. Like, no, actually, I have money, so I can afford that if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, something that, like, we've never really spoken about, mm-hmm. um, even though we've been friends for so long. Yeah. So I find it really interesting, interesting because I feel like I'm the opposite in the way that people know I love spending money on, <laughs> like, quality stuff, yes. though. Yes. Right. And I'm probably, like, the first person to be like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, it's all about the experience. So, like, the money comes second. Yeah. And I think that's just a development or like a habit, a thinking habit that I've developed because I don't like talking about money in depth and mm. I don't like comparing myself to other people based on my monetary value or how much I have in my bank account. Yeah, I absolutely hate that because I'm just like, who's that going to help? What is the point of me telling you how much I spend on like a car or something? Because I know people judge based on that and I don't want that to be like the topic of the conversation. Yeah, But I think just personally – when I make decisions about buying stuff, I see everything that I buy as an investment now. Yeah. Like if I'm buying an appliance for my home, I think about, okay, like what is it going to give me? Is it worth the money that I'm spending on it? If I have to pay like $100 or $200 more for something that is quality, then I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think um, to your point about money anxiety, like growing up and seeing how much my parents had to struggle around that, like in primary school, they knew that um, my sisters and I were all related, right? And they knew that my mom was like working so hard. My parents, as my dad as well, they would kind of help out as well. So the school like allowed us to go to camp, but it was almost like at a discounted rate. Yeah. So the school paid for a bit of it. Yeah. And I feel like having that was super helpful, but seeing like my mom have to ask for that also was like, I think, I don't know how to explain the feeling, but it's just like, wow, like it's, they have to work so hard for for us to be able to have these opportunities. Yeah. So I look at that now and like I said, not having a family myself, it's hard to relate to that. But I think eventually I will be able to kind of see sense in like why my parents had to hustle so hard. Yeah. When yeah. did you become, I guess, financially independent or like, you know, what kind of pushed you to do that? Because yeah. I know a lot of people, some people can just feel like, oh, I'm just going to live with my parents' money, you know? Yeah. I think it just made me uncomfortable because I just knew like I'm not the only one they need to be paying for. There's mm-hmm. three other people mm-hmm. that I need to be considering as yeah. well. I think it was when I got like our job at Woolworths. Yeah. <laughs> like that was major hustling. I mean, I had a job before that and it was at Eagle Boys Pizza. <laughs> Rest like- in peace, Eagle Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting paid like $8 an hour and that was less about financial freedom, but it was more about like, oh, I have a job. And it was such a flex in high school because I was one of the older people in our grade. So I was like, oh, I have a job now. But then when we went to Woolworths and started working for a constant paycheck and I started paying for tutoring myself Mm -hmm. and being able to buy my own stuff without having to like think about, oh, how much pocket money do I have? I think that's when I felt financial freedom. Even pocket money, actually. I never got any of that. 
yeah, I got like five dollars here and there, yeah. and I just saved. I remember I was on this constant of like hundred twenty dollars, yeah. and I just felt so rich. Right, and I was like, even if I just have over a hundred dollars, I think that's an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, like as soon as I hit fourteen nine months, I was like, I need to get a job because I, like you said, seeing how much your parents really work hard to pay you to go to tutoring to feed you and then having siblings on that like I have twin sisters so I always say that it's so expensive like you're probably expecting to have one child but you have two and you just got to spend double the amount every time at the Mm. same time (laughs) so then I just felt really bad so as soon as 49 months like yeah I got my job at Woolies and as soon as I was making money I was like you I paid for tutoring everything that I could pay for myself I did and that was probably my first journey to like financial freedom I felt so good about myself paying for tutoring you know like (laughs) your friends are like oh my parents pay for my tutoring and then I would come with my own paycheck I'll go to the ATM you know like cash out out, like $400 or whatever it is for tutoring and then pay for the semester I remember I went to tutoring and they even asked me they're like oh are you paying for this and I was like yeah I have a job so I paid for it and they felt so bad for me what I don't know they felt so bad for me I just remember she's like oh my god why are you paying for tutoring like you should um I can give you a discount and stuff like that. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I chose to yeah. pay for my tutoring because I can make, I have money now and I want to pay for myself. Yeah. And I think they didn't understand that. Like yeah. the tutoring center, they were like, why aren't your parents paying for you? Yeah. So it, it was interesting, but I just felt so proud. I was just like, whatever, I'm paying for myself. Yeah. yeah. I also think that um, sometimes parents don't want their kids to work because they want them to focus on their studies. Mm. So they see a job as a distraction. That's very true. So they're like, oh, let me work and yeah. you focus on your studies. And then eventually when you start to work, you can take care of me. That's very true. Yeah. I even, another triggering story. I even mm. had like during my HSC, um, I think we both worked during HSC. Maybe. Oh my God. Yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we did, yeah. right? So we were still working at Woolies during HSC. And I remember my tutor at the time, he found that out. And he was like, please like just, quit your job, like focus on your <laughs> studies. Like he, he even was like, I'll pay, I'll cover your last semester. I remember this. Yeah. And I was, was like, no. Jimmy's? Yeah, it was Jimmy's. <laughs> I don't want to out him. But, yeah, <laughs> people might go knocking on his door for money. But um, he, he like, yeah, the tutor was very just like, focus on your studies. I'll pay for you. I'll cover your tutoring. You don't have to pay me. Like I want you to do well. And for me, I just couldn't fathom that mm-hmm. because coming from a family where we didn't have a lot of money, I felt like I needed to work yeah, because I didn't want to put the burden back on my parents to pay for tutoring. Yeah. And I, w- I also don't want to take money from other people. Yeah. Another thing about feeling like you're in debt. Yeah. 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 I wonder if it's also um, you being the eldest child and knowing your parents have like two younger siblings mm. to also accommodate for as well. You're like, oh, the sooner that I can, um, you know, be self-sufficient, they can just focus on my younger siblings. Yeah. 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 I and I'm, so. I'm the third, so I I feel like I'm kind of in the middle where it feels less, like there's less pressure on me, but I just wanted to work because I was like, oh, I love the money, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, the money wasn't coming from anywhere else except if I worked, I'll get money. If that makes sense. Like, whereas I feel like when I made money, I was able to also pay for my sister's like mm, meals and stuff like yeah. that. Like there was somebody that could cover some of their stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. Even now, yeah. my little sis, like when I take my little sister out or when my sisters take me out, like, they'll pay for stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we all have our own individual jobs, but it's that idea of like looking after who's like younger than you or showing them that like you can cover it. Like it's just a kind of, I don't know, it's kind of not really spoken about, but it's expected or not surprising. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. They're my older sister or they're older than me. They can cover, cover it for me. They've been saving for longer. (laughs) They've been saving. They've got money. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think paying for yourself for things like tutoring, I started to become more grateful for tutoring or I was more mm. invested in it mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, this is my own money, so I should make the most of it. And I definitely was not grateful for, say, like Saturday school growing up, tutoring. I didn't take it seriously when my parents were paying for me and I still regret it to this day because now looking back, it's like, shit, that was so expensive and that was them pouring all their savings into that so that I could have the best education, but I didn't make Mm. the most of it. I guess when you're paying for it, it's like you have the power and this is your choice that you make. You put yourself into tutoring so you actually have to appreciate it. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. How about like experience with getting financial support growing up, like Centrelink and scholarships and stuff like that? I feel like Centrelink was a very, very big part of my identity growing up. Yeah. And youth allowance, right? Youth allowance. Yeah. <laughs> Thank the government. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, government. <laughs> but I don't know. Like now, being out of that, obviously not getting youth allowance anymore. I don't realize. I think I didn't realize that it wasn't. Not, not normal, but like I feel like everyone we knew was on Centrelink payments. Yeah, like it's, it's like if you don't get use allowance, like why aren't you? You did, you did something wrong. Yeah, yeah. why aren't you getting <laughs> like money? You weren't proactive about it. But now being outside of the bubble, I'm like, oh, hang on. Yeah, this is pretty much like because we were from a low SES area. That's why we were getting Centrelink payments. Yeah, but then going out, I was like, what? You guys didn't get Centrelink payments? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like you know accessing those things that were built to support people like us yeah you know and my mom is always so anxious about that stuff like she would not stop hassling about like make sure you get your youth allowance or like the thing with that system is that if any of your circumstances change Mm. you need to report it to them and it's definitely improved over time but it used to be such a long process and you know centrelink lines going out the door or on the phone with centrelink you're like waiting for like two hours that bloody um, ringtone as well, <laughs> yeah. like the, the waiting song. You, the, the tip is you have to like call like right as they open their Yeah, lines. like 8 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, those things like I never understood her anxiety around that. But now I get it. Like being older and reflecting back, you're like, they, she was really dependent on that money. Yes. It's just I never saw how she spent that money or what it meant to her. It's just. I took it for granted for sure. I think for us, it was just a hassle, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I have to report to get money, like get free money, which is for them. They're like, it's money that actually we need to support our family. Yeah. I think we didn't realize that at the time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I also think that um, all my youth allowance went to my mom. Mm. And that was, I guess, like my way. Like I never felt like it was my money. Yeah. You know, it was just money to like invest in the family. And when I was on exchange as well, like I was really lucky that I got a scholarship from uni and I was just sort of thinking about it. Like what drove me to get that scholarship? And I kind of just subconsciously, subconsciously was like, oh, I should apply for scholarships. I didn't really think about like sometimes people might not even think about scholarships because probably they don't, they don't need it. Yeah, it's exactly. They don't yeah. need it. Yeah. But for me, it was like, oh, I should just apply for the scholarship because I think, you know, it's obviously going to help me out. Yeah. It's just coming to that realization now and how much it's helped me it just like blows my mind because I think that's not the standard mindset of just like say no. an average Australian, right? Yeah. Cause I feel like for us, it's like any opportunity to get money, apply for it basically. Yeah. Apply for youth allowance, apply for those bonuses, apply for the scholarships. It's just drilled into us because we didn't come from a place with a lot of money. Mm. And same with me when I, like, I honestly feel like if I didn't get my scholarship at university, I probably wouldn't have been able to go on exchange the way I did. Yes. Yeah. 
like I probably would have gone, but I don't think I would have been able to afford it. Yeah, like, likewise. That's so much money on exchange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's so much money on travel. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was like 40K or something by the time I got home. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, that definitely would not have been possible, even though I was hustling so hard. Exactly. Because like, well. we. Honestly, I think we started working at Woolworths knowing we wanted to go overseas. Yeah. We knew we wanted to go on exchange. And that was part of the reason why I started working so young as well. But like some people, I guess they don't have to think about that. Yeah. They have the option to go on exchange whenever they want because they probably have that money. Whereas us, we have to look for those scholarships and the jobs to be able to afford big things like that. Yeah. Because without money, it's impossible, right? It's totally impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like... um, even though I knew I had all this disposable income for exchange, I still didn't use it all. Mm-hmm. I was still really frugal because I was like, I need to come home and have financial stability. Yeah. And yeah. Also for me, I feel like a pocket of my money. I'm like, I need to like save this for my parents yeah. in case they need it or something like that. Yeah. You need to have like, like I was saying before, that plan B yeah. bucket of money. Yeah. Like my money isn't my money. Is yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also feel like whenever I get my pay, you know, some people are like, oh, I got paid today, so I'm going to spend. I'm just like, no, I need to save every cent and I need to calculate like what parts of my um, pay for this week I can just spend on like say food, right? Or going out, but every other dollar needs to go straight into my savings. I have anxiety about like letting money sit in like my non-savings account as well. Oh, let's talk about that. Like I feel like money sitting there and not making more money. Yeah, investments, Investments, that is also a big anxiety. I think- Another thing is like investing money. I never really got into until like the last three years starting to invest in like ETFs and stuff like that. But prior to that, I think my money literacy, is that what you, money, financial literacy Literacy. was so low just because my parents never taught me how to manage money. I think I would say they're really bad at managing money, which is Mm. why we've always had problems with money. So growing up, I never learned how to properly manage and invest my money until I grew up and like was in the workforce. And I never thought, I was like, investing? I don't know how to do that. Like, that's so yeah. scary. I don't know what that is because I don't I don't have money to invest. Like, <laughs> when I had that lacking mindset, I was like, I don't have money to invest. But now I'm like, I have money and I can invest. And it was about learning and empowering myself to do that. Yeah. I think that's really, really good because I think I'm still on that journey mm-hmm. of um, fearing that the investment space is so uncertain. Yeah. I know that there are like, you know, safer investments that you can make, but still I'm just like the fact that my money can go up and down, yeah. like, no, I need stability. I need to know that that dollar value is going to stay the same and maybe like bump up a little bit using yeah. like, you know, the bank's interest rates or yeah. whatever. But at the same time, I just have not kind of stepped over that hill of like what investments can do for me. Is it because like you need stability? Is that tied to like your relationship with money and growing up or? I think it's also like the landscape at the moment with just finance in general feels so uncertain. I'm like, I have a mortgage to pay now. Mm-hmm. So I need to have financial security to know that I can make those repayments, yeah. you know, but I know I've got the money for it. So like, why do I have so much anxiety? <laughs> yeah. It? yeah. It's like, I'm almost waiting for something like really bad to happen. And I'm just like, I just want to know that I'll be okay yeah. if that ever comes up. Um, money anxiety yeah legit yeah. <laughs> it's a legit thing but also like I I really do shy away from or used to shy away from things regarding finance just in general but I'm like I need to like face face the facts now that like you know as an adult 
you need to do these things because also eventually I'm going to have my own family. So I need to understand what my situation is and how that impacts my future. Were there any resources or things that helped you become more money smart? Um, I think Combank is really good. Like they have a lot of like, oh, buying your first home. What does this mean? All the banks do. Um, But also, I don't know, my partner's a mortgage broker. So very in that space. So also I think when you've got – resources around you so people around you who are really good at those things you feel less inclined to take it like take it by the reins like take the reins on your own um it's probably not the same but you know what I mean (laughs) yeah Yeah. and I feel like if I know I've got people I can rely on and just ask questions I'm just gonna ask because I'm like I don't want to waste space in my brain and store information that like I know I'm probably not good at but like you said before I think I definitely have better um, finance management than my parents because I think like they don't trust the finance system. Yeah. <laughs> like they just don't trust banks. Like they're like, oh, like what if I? they know I've got too much money? And I'm like, is that even a thing? That's, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've heard that from like several like people and read it in articles as well. And it's just like, yeah, it's also a matter of trust in the system that has been built for us to manage our money. And I think like for our parents, probably getting paid through a bank is weird. Yeah, because they get paid, paid cash. cash in hand, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so it's just really interesting because I think we have been, I don't know, part of maybe ComBank since we were so young. And now thinking about like, oh, ComBank is probably not offering me the best rates. Yeah. Need to shop around, say, for another bank yeah. account and the interest rates. It's because people in our generation had the Dolomites program. Yeah, that sucked us in. That totally so, sucked us into yeah. using ComBank. Um, but also, I would recommend everybody going looking at their bank account, looking at the interest rates you're getting, and I would, I would almost guarantee that you're not getting the best interest rates. Yeah, and to definitely. go out there and look for bank accounts that actually will give you better interest rates, even if you're not investing, if you're just your money, if your money's just sitting there, look for the one with the best interest rates. Yeah, yeah. Other things like um, fixed rates and variable variable rates for mortgage, like. That is a hot topic everywhere I go, like Mm -hmm. at work, just my friends asking me as well. And it's just like so weird because it's obviously a very new space for me. But I think, yeah, like starting to get um, fluent in that area is like kind of a big focus for me right now. Yeah. Because like, yeah, you can't depend on anyone because like you're the only one paying this mortgage. So the pressure is on you. So I guess that's like my new relationship with like money yeah is where did you learn all that mortgage stuff is it just self-googling asking people yeah yeah googling asking people who had been through the process and you know because articles can only tell you so much and i think it also is really different because it really depends like where you're buying what bank you're going with like there are a lot of variables and also for me i, I think a part of it is like customer experience as well Mm. like I want to have a good experience with a bank that I know like if shit hits the fan and I need to ask for advice like I know the bank's got my back yeah in a way um so a lot of it was just like googling also because I knew that I have no interest in learning everything on my own or, or knowing that I could not learn everything investing in professional services that would help me so people like accountants, like I used to do my taxes myself, but when I started my small business and freelancing, I'm like, I I don't understand any of this. So I feel like I want to invest in someone who can give me the right answers. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, our parents might be just like, just do it yourself. Yeah. Or just try and finances yourself. 
Or like, I know someone who can give you those answers mm. for free. Yeah, I feel like it's really good that you're able to reach out to external sources for education and help because I think there's a period in my life where I feel like so overwhelmed by the lack of, lack of knowledge about money that I just didn't do anything about it. It was kind of like too hard bucket. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to deal with it because I don't know how to deal with it. Whereas it's good that you were able to go, oh, I don't know it, but I'm going to ask someone and I can take action about it. Yeah. Yeah. I only took action when I felt like the time was right, though. Mm-hmm. I think growing up, like you know, in your early 20s, it's definitely fair enough putting it in the too hard basket because you're still young, you yeah. know. But there comes a time in your life, and I feel like that's that time for me, where when I was felt like I was prepared to buy my first home, I was like, okay, I need to make the strides to get to where I need to go and have the right understanding so that I'm making informed decisions. Yeah. And I was like constantly listening to like finance podcasts mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think like money doesn't need to be something that you're constantly thinking about it. It's a relationship that changes over time. And when you're ready to like face it in that light, I feel like time will come. But I think growing up, I was just like, oh, eventually I will think about it. And yeah. I, think I looked at my sisters as examples, like being not being the eldest really helped. Yeah, I think yeah. it's also like what you said, it's baby steps with money. You don't have to go overnight and become like an expert in money. Like it's not going to happen. For me, what how it what really helped was first dealing with my mindset, mm. like not speaking as if I don't have money, like catching myself when I'm saying I'm poor and then knowing that I don't know anything about investments. I don't know anything about mortgage. I don't know anything about savings. That I could have been like, that's too scary and I'm never going to be able to know. So that's catching myself going, actually, that's a fixed mindset. You can actually grow in this area and then taking baby steps to learn one step at a time. And now like money doesn't feel scary to me anymore. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And I would recommend Barefoot Investor. Oh, yeah. A lot of people have recommended that. I haven't read the book yet, but it's one of the top rated. Yeah. I think take it obviously with a grain of salt because it's very like directive. Like It's Mm. like, do this, do this, do that. But then if you... You don't have to follow all those steps, but just reading it, it's really like, it helped me. Someone who genuinely had no financial literacy at all, I read that book and I felt like I learned so much on just the basics of finance. And then it started helping me like think about other areas I wanted to learn more about and then gave me a branching point, I guess. Yeah. I think the other important note to make is like, don't feel pressured just because the people around you are doing something like I knew when investments was such a hot topic, like it kind of still is, or like buying your first home, don't feel pressured that you need to get on that level. I think that's when finance, like bad financial decisions come along. And I think it should be more so like start the conversation with yourself and start looking at, you know, resources like books or podcasts mm-hmm. to understand, are you prepared to take that next step? Yeah. Or even start like tracking your spending. Like yes. something as simple as that, like can get you in the mindset of thinking about money. Yeah. I used to hate tracking my spending, but I was doing it because of um, exchange. And then once I came back from exchange, I don't do it religiously. Like I don't save all my receipts and stuff like that. Um, that's partially because like, I don't want to get to a point where I'm that frugal. Mm -hmm. I still want to live quite comfortably and be happy to, you know, spend more money here and there, um, when it warrants it for a good experience. But I think also you need to be sensible about it. Like not just kind of put on a back burner and just ignore that it's there because it's a real thing. Like you need to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder these days now that we have everything's like digital. You Mm. can't physically see the money going in and out. So yeah, so it's just like <laughs> just tapping, mindless tapping. spend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually like a thing. So like mindless spending has 
really grown over time because, um, you know, with COVID, we're living in actually like quite a cashless society. So as a result, it's so easy to tap and go and you don't see that money coming out of your bank unless you go into your bank account or you see the notification, right? Um, And when I was like doing research around this, there's like this Japanese technique to help manage money. So I'm definitely going to say this wrong. I'm really sorry, but it's called a (laughs) kakebo. So it's like a mindful Japanese budgeting system. And I feel like it's like uh, Marie Kondo, but for like finances. So that word translates to household financial ledger. And it was like designed in 1904 by this uh, Japanese female journalist. So it was an accounting system that was designed for housewives initially, (laughs) but then it started to be like adapted and adopted by anyone and everyone. And it's like designed to give you control of your budget so that you're aware of your spending habits. So how it works, very simply, the system asks the users to answer four key questions. So how much money do you have available? How much would you like to save? How much are you spending? And how can you improve? And that's like the starting structure. And I think that's a really good starting point to face the facts of like where you are currently at and almost do an audit of your financial situation. Um, And then I think there's like a template that you can follow to track all of this. And it gets you to kind of really sit down and think about where am I at right now, but where do I want to go as well? And how can I make steps to kind of get there? Yeah, I feel very inspired actually doing this episode. I feel like I need to go check my my finances because I I don't track my spending. I just see it on my bank account. I don't track like what I spend on and stuff like that. But I feel like I should start doing that to become even more smart with my money. Before moving out of home, I was the same. So I knew that I was having um, constant income and I knew a portion of it would go into savings yeah. and then the rest of it is like play money, right? Yes. So do what you want with it. But now that, you know, I have to pay bills, I have to pay a mortgage, like knowing that you've got set expenditures and then it's like, oh, how much do I have left over? You, I needed to kind of do that review and have that mindset that like, Oh, I can still live comfortably, but knowing I've got enough to pay for those things. Yeah, that's really good. Because I think at the moment, what I do is I have that split. So I know this is my pay, take-home pay and this amount is going to go straight into the long-term savings account. And then the rest, like you said, is pay money. Yeah. But it's just a guess. You know what I mean? It's just an assumption yeah. based on how much I've spent in the last month. But looking at your spending, like you can probably see where places where you can actually save more on. Like, like oh, I spent like $50 on coffee this week. You know, maybe I can cut down on that. Yeah. The other thing I realized through COVID was like, you know, we weren't going anywhere. We couldn't. Oh my God. We made, I saved so much money. Yeah. So did I, <laughs> but you're kind of like blindly saving. And I almost feel like for myself anyway, it's really hard to save, even though I know I'm saving when I don't have anything that I'm saving towards. Mm. So when I don't have like a goal, I'm kind of just like, okay, I'm saving, but what's the point of all of yeah. this? And you don't really make conscious decisions about your spending when you don't have something to work towards. That's why I feel like looking into investments is actually pretty cool because if you're not like for me, for example, I have a big bucket of saving, but I'm just like, what am I saving for? Like a house, maybe moving overseas, maybe, but like at the moment, the money's just sitting there. So when I was during the pandemic, I was kind of like, maybe I should look into investing this. Mm, so mm. getting more out of it rather than just letting it sit there in the bank account. Yeah. yeah. But it's the Asian mentality of having like, emergency money yeah you're like i need to be able to access it (laughs) immediately (laughs) or like oh maybe if i go and travel like this is what they'll be used for but you don't have anything booked right so you're just like what am i actually working towards so i think um yeah me having my own place and like knowing that i need to have enough to afford like groceries and stuff Mm. 
is has actually put me in a really good mindset because I feel like I'm in control of my finances and I'm in a really good place, yeah. but I can also still spend quite freely yeah. and enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think also something that I learned through work recently was because obviously I work with um, financial institutions as clients and um, a stat that came up at a work meeting the other day was that I think, I don't want to say 90%, but for the first time in centuries, younger generations are going to be worse off than the one before it. Scary. Yeah. And, you know, we used to think that, oh, we're going to be better off like from our parents because we have an education, we went to university, um, we've got like higher paying jobs, all that kind of stuff. But actually with the cost of living in Australia, we're going to be worse off than our parents possibly it obviously depends on like you know your parents socioeconomic status but um i got i went and actually looked for where this stat came from so it was from the grattan institute generation gap report from 2019 and a few points that they made where i thought which i thought were quite interesting was we're not making as many like economic gains as our parents due to slow economic growth and when people hear this they might think that like you know we're spending too much on like avocado toast or like coffees and all that. But actually with a lot of people, they're cutting back on that kind of spending to make up on the cost of living. Hmm. So as a result, you know, it's not about like the fact that we're being too, what's that? Like mindlessly spending. Frivolous? Yeah, frivolous. That's the word. We're not frivolous about what we're spending. We're actually quite conscious of. It's just the cost of living is just rising. rising. Um, You know, and there's like several things that, kind of go into this it's like housing market is booming interest rates are rising also aging population like with yeah. people living later this leads to governments having to spend more money on supporting those people yeah so yeah. greater spend on pensions health and aged care etc i think like um i think we're the, actually the i think when i read somewhere that we're the generation that's probably the first generation that is locked out of the housing market basically like it's so hard for people in our generation to afford a house compared to previous generations where it was a little bit easier to afford a mm-hmm. house. Yeah. So that's just something that we also have to deal with the increased housing prices. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a reality that like a lot of people have recently realized that it's just going to be really hard. I think cause we're at the age where normally we would be buying property, mm. but yeah, it just feels more and more unattainable as like more and more news yeah. comes out. Um, but if there's a will, there's a way, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we want one takeaway from the conversation today, I think it's like, yeah, re- review like your finances so that it's not as scary as you might yeah. think. Be intentional with it, I yeah. think. And I think one thing we didn't really touch on is negotiating for your pay as well. Mm, yeah. Like now that we're, we're in full-time so that. jobs, it's yeah. like so important for you to know your value and be able to negotiate for what you're worth as well. Yeah. I think we might do like more of an in-depth episode on that in the future, but the way that I like to think about it or what I always tell other people is like bump the salary negotiation up because you can always come down from that. Yeah. Rather than being like, Oh, I don't think I'm worth that much. So I'm just going to give them like the base or like the average. Yeah. Yeah. Females are more prone to doing that than males as well. They feel like we're, we feel apparently that we're worth less for the same role that a male might be in as well. And I don't think we need to explain like why No. Yeah. yeah, with the history, but, um, yeah, hot tip. I think always negotiate higher than the average. 
And it's so easy to look up the average of like the pay mm-hmm. or the role that you're in across the industry. It's on like Glassdoor and everything. And I would say like without considering super, just like bump that up and then plus super. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's um with the, uh, what's it called? Oh, the great resignation. Yeah people are more likely to be comfortable talking about pay because it's just so competitive. And I think it's so important. Like, I feel like, you know, historically talking about how much you make is so taboo. Oh, yeah. I, but I don't understand. Like, for me personally, I feel like it's so important to you to have conversations with other people about how much you're getting paid or how much people can be getting paid because it just, like, empowers each other. Like, mm. one person getting paid more doesn't mean you're going to get paid less. Yeah, Right. exactly. Like, I think it's about really just bringing everybody up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also um, it might be illegal to talk about like your pay with other people in the same, in the same company. Yeah. Same company. Yeah. So just be careful of that. Yes, yes, but yes. I am always really open with other people in my industry because I'm like such a big fan of like empowering others. It's like, no, you're worth, you know, yeah, like, exactly. get paid, especially because we came from a background where finance was so such a big topic and it was such a stressful topic. And with the cost of living, you know, everything we've talked about today, like you need to consider these things for your future. Yeah. Yeah, actually, for future episodes, it'd be cool if we could bring in like a financial um, expert. So, if yeah. one of you guys, if any of you listening knows someone or is a financial expert and want to jump on our podcast, let us know. Yeah, get in touch. Because obviously, or... we're not experts in this field. It's just talking about our experience and our relationship with money. But it'd be cool to. Yeah, know, have an no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I know we're all about the creative industry and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, we're also very big on, you know, growing up as Asian Australians yeah. and you know, the experiences. Personal growth. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we hope everyone took a lot out of that because I think I did as well. Yeah. I think think this is a push for me to actually like think about my finances even more intentionally and figure out, you know, how I can make my money go even longer. So jumping into dinner table questions. The first one that I have for you, Tracy, is what's your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure could be anything like what you do to relax, maybe food. Oh, you know what my guilty pleasure is? Trash books. Like <laughs> like teenage fiction. <laughs> Not teenage fiction, but like just like really like just easy to read books that are just like trashy, like probably like no value, but it's just like cheap entertainment. Could you give us uh, any recommendations of your favorite? Um, like those beach romance reads, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how, exactly. I don't, like... I don't know, like conversation with friends. Yes, Sally Rooney. Yeah, right? like Sally Rooney. I'm yeah. sorry, I don't mean to call you trash. <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> but like quick, quick reads that like, you know, it's just like watching a reality TV show. Yeah. 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 Like those fr- friends to lover books. <laughs> yeah, it's like reality yeah, TV yeah, yeah, yeah. or like those um to all the boys I love type Yes, yes, type yeah, shows, those type right? of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, just I get love you. Same yeah. page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same What's page. yours? Um... Probably online shopping. Okay. <laughs> Speaking on the topic of spending money. <laughs> like I'm always on some kind of site, but I never buy stuff. That's the thing. Like mm. it's my guilty pleasure because I'm just like, window shopping. these are the things that I could buy. Yeah. Digital window shopping. Mm. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm always, it's also because of the Instagram algorithm. Like I'm such a sucker. <laughs> I'm like the perfect audience to target. But Do you have a site, a specific site that you're always on? Uh, I'm always on, um, either clothing stores like very minimalist clothing stores and it's usually ones that are international so like aritzia is mm-hmm. one which is canadian i think um and then there's another one like w concept 
And I just always go on their site and look at stuff, but I never buy anything. Yeah. I add it to my cart and I just, it's almost like I'm creating what I assume my capsule wardrobe would be when yeah. I'm rich and have enough money to inspire. I love it. Just do a big haul. It's like your vision board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, hot tip for people, if you want to buy stuff online, put it in your basket and leave it there overnight. Like go through all the steps, but don't actually buy it. Some algorithms pick up that you're about to buy something so they might send you a discount code via email. Oh, really? You know how Iconic does it? You have some shopping. You've left some stuff in your cart. Here's 5% off. But that's only if you sign up to be a member. Yeah, if you're part of the account, then they'll have your emails and stuff like that. But I know people who, like, genuinely, if they want to buy something, they leave it in the cart for a few days and then they, like, take it out. And then sometimes, if you're lucky, you get a discount code. Okay, that's, like, so bothered. I always look for coupon (laughs) codes and I always use, like, cashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, the next question. What three things do you think of the most each day? <laughs> oh, my God. What am I going to have for dinner? Yes. What am I doing on the weekend? And what's the weather today? Oh, what's the weather? I used to think about what's the weather all the time, but now I don't go out. So. I always <laughs> ask my home. Google Home. Yes. Yeah. That's the only question I ask my Google Home. Like, yeah. What's the weather today? What about you? Um, What am I going to eat? Like, what's my next meal? Because for me... <laughs> What I eat can make or ruin my day. Because oh, really? I love food so yeah. much that like it's the highlight of my day. Like I have to eat good, which is why I'm very indecisive when it comes to food. I'm like, oh, what should I make for lunch? Like, what can I do to have a really good meal? Mm. So what am I gonna eat? Um, when am I gonna sleep? What like oh, how many hours of sleep will I get? That's what I think about a lot. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> and hey, it's important. Um, I feel like I think about exercising every day. As in, I think about it. I'm like, oh, I should, these days, I should go back to the gym. Oh, yeah. But I don't. That is me too. Yeah. But I don't think about it every day. Oh, I just thought of one that I think about like- how much I, like, how much fitness I get in a day. Like, am I walking around too much? Am I sitting too long? Yeah. Am I, have I taken enough steps? I don't know. I just like being active. At least you're conscious of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the other thing I also think about is um, probably not so much what am I going to do on the weekend. That's probably more of a Thursday, Friday thing. But like, what am I going to wear tomorrow? Oh, actually, yeah, that's a good one. What am I going to yeah. wear tomorrow? Yeah. Especially if I have to go into the office. I'm the type of person who needs to have their um, outfit laid out mm-hmm. so that in the morning I'm not thinking about it because I just, I'm so Yeah, it just saves so much time, though. It really like, does. Yeah. Really does. And decision fatigue. Yes, exactly. Last question. What is the best and worst gift you've received? This is very difficult because I'm going to single summer out if the worst gift. But I, actually, let me think my worst gift. I don't. I'm definitely going to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just a joke, you know. I feel like I've never really received a bad gift. Maybe like um, like a Christmas gift or something. I feel like all my birthday gifts, obviously people who give you birthday gifts are like people who know you. Mm. So those gifts are always really good. Maybe a worst gift is like something I've received for Christmas. Like something random, right? Something random. You like know? a Kris Kringle type. Yeah, like a yeah. phone holder or something. Actually, that's pretty helpful. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm going to call someone out, but it's like – bad santa so it's not actually receiving a gift yeah but then i ended up with a um like a a, a ceramic oh, house decoration shout out to my friends you guys know who you are i was like what am i gonna do with this oh i gave goodness. it to my dad who really likes gardening statues <laughs> so it's in our backyard somewhere it <laughs> was so funny oh my gosh yeah it was just it was nice but i was just like i don't have anywhere to put this i i, I remember that story so vividly yeah um, oh, best gift I've received? 
I have a lot of every year I receive a good gift. I sometimes actually I think about you know back in high school when you guys all chipped in for my DSLR. Oh yeah. Yeah. Was that my idea? Yeah, it probably was. I think it was was when he's like, I don't know how you guys afforded that. Dude, that was pretty wild. Hey, like a DSLR, like a proper. It was a Canon. 600 D or something something like that and like that generally like I think having getting that gift from my high school friends like a DSLR like really helped kickstart my like creative interests I guess I've always was kind of interested in photography and like photos and stuff like that but then having a DSLR you feel so legit oh I'm glad it was so meaningful I know it was very very meaningful Um, and back then Everybody carried a DSLR at school. Yeah. Like it actually blows my mind that we carried that massive chunky thing to school to take photos. But there was such a big like selfie or like photo. I love I love the shutter sound of the yes. DSLR. Yeah, I would still use a DSLR yeah, me too. if I go travel. Yeah, over using my phone. Yeah, I would still yeah. use it. Just that it makes you feel more intentional when you're taking the photo because yeah, whole, even though now phone these days are better than yeah, the quality is the same as a DSLR. Yeah. The idea oh, that's nice. Yeah, I that's think my it was win very, of today. Very sweet. Huh? <laughs> that's my win of today. Yeah. Okay. What's your best and worst? Um, I think I've told mo- multiple people this, but the worst gift I've ever received was like Chris Kringle in high school. I got an ant farm. <laughs> Tracy's laughing because she just so knows. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> Legit, guys. I got like a, a kit to start my own ant farm. I think it would have been cool for some people, but for Wendy, probably not ideal. Yeah. I think I just used the sand for something else, but yeah. Every year, as a joke for Chris Kringle, like I tell my friends, like get me anything but an ant farm. farm. The trauma still lingers. Yeah, I'm joking. I'm just being um dramatic. (laughs) Um, I don't necessarily have a best gift, but I think the category of gifts that I really like are the like the sentimental ones, Mm -hmm. the ones that are like really well thought through, and not just like another thing that you could just get for the average person. And I think um, Tracy always gets me really good gifts because I think like when a person knows you really well, yeah. they get you something that's like super meaningful and useful as well. Yeah. You know when I got you the coordinates bracelet? The corn- oh, yeah, but I lost it. Yeah, I that was anyway, so I sad. That, that was, that was, that was sick. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can remember like every gift that you've ever gotten me. Every year is so different. Um, but yeah, for context, like the coordinates bracelet was when I was going – on exchange yeah. the next year and then Tracy got me the coordinates of like 2166 <laughs> <laughs> of a house so. yeah, yeah my house and oh that was so nice yeah that was super sentimental because yeah I could take it away with me when I went yeah. on exchange yeah I was also thinking you know the the video you made for me for my high school birthday oh my god and I fully like booked out a room to have like a viewing yeah party. she yeah. went around and she got our friends to record birthday messages on me and she put it you put it in a cd like it was like a, a dvd case and everything and i printed out the like cover and yeah there everything. was a cover and everything yeah. it was like very cool yeah i think yeah. we're very good at giving each other gifts because we know each other so well yeah and it's more about the sentiment behind it yeah rather than the gift itself and it's like still rings true today like i don't think we've gotten to that stage where you know like if you're in a long-term relationship you just get each other like what you need <laughs> it's like when your birthday comes around or like when my birthday comes around i feel like we put so much thought yeah. into it um yeah and i don't give gifts to many people i mm. feel like you're one of, one of the few people that i always do birthday gifts yeah for. yeah anyway that's anyway. a nice <laughs> note to end on like you know just our love story classic yes um but as per usual join us on our socials um a seat at our table dot podcast mm-hmm. even after like 18 19 episodes why do we still struggle yeah i know we always <laughs> struggle with like, is that how instagram handle Who knows? but yeah you know where to find us yeah um But until the next episode, bye. bye.